Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, good morning. It's a really beautiful building, you guys. It's really nice to be here. Um, it's such a joy to spend some time with you this morning. It's a privilege I don't take lightly. To have a few minutes of your time is a real gift. And um, I want to steward that time wisely. I want you to feel served and cared for in our time together. So you're in the middle of a series called Fully Devoted, and today I've been asked to speak on prayer and connecting with God. And so often a sermon will kind of follow this pattern. You'll have a piece of scripture, a few points, and then a poignant conclusion that'll wrap it all up. But today is not that day. It's going to look a little bit different today. It'll probably feel more like a walk or a hike. And I'm going to point out a few things to you along the way that I hope and pray are helpful to you. Things that I have found helpful in my own walk, um, things that will hopefully encourage, things that may normalize our experience in prayer and in hearing God. Some things might challenge you a bit, and some things you might just want to put in your pocket for another day. Um, I want to read you a piece of scripture which just captures the tone of what I'm hoping to communicate today with you. It's in Matthew 11, and it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so our conversation today will be built on that same tone of gentleness and love. It's about nurturing a relationship with God. It's about intimacy. It's about wholeness. It's about union. It's not about progress or a checklist or something else that we have to do. So be gentle with yourself. There really is no wrong way to do this. So may it feel easy and light and invitational, even if we have to flex and stretch a few muscles today. My prayer for us this morning is that you would grab hold of what makes sense to you, what connects with you, what encourages you in this season that you're currently walking in. Take what feels light, what feels easy, what feels gentle, what feels invitational, and whatever doesn't, just let that gently fall by the wayside. Can I pray for us? And so, Lord Jesus, Father, God, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We know that you are always with us, but we just take a minute to remember that. You know the day that we've had, the week that we've had, and so would you wash over us, just remove all that is not of you. Would you give us sanctuary? Would you lead us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. And so as I was thinking about fully devoted and prayer and connecting with God, um, the conversation seemed to naturally fall into two kind of parts for me. The first part being prayer and how we communicate with God, and the second part really being how we listen in the part of prayer, right? How we listen to and recognize God's still small voice. And so we're going to follow those two parts today. We're going to jump right into prayer. So what is prayer? Well, very simply, prayer is an active communication between humans and a holy God. It's about talking, it's about listening. If I say, let's pray, what does everybody do? Right, you fold your hands, you bow your head, you close your eyes, 
You have very great prayer manners. But depending on where you're from or what your faith tradition is, if I said, let's pray, it might look very different. For some, they come from a tradition that kneels. Others will fall prostrate before the Lord. So there's different ways of praying, and there's different kinds of prayers. We have prayers of thanksgiving, where we express our gratitude to the Lord. We have prayers of adoration, where we pray about the attributes or the character of God, not because he's forgotten who he is, but because it reminds us who he is. We have prayers that are requests. We have spiritual warfare prayers where we pray against powers and principalities of the invisible world. There's prayers of intercession when we pray um, for friends and family members and situations. There's prayers of confession where we take responsibility for our sin once we've misstepped. And then there's prayers of lament. And I think that those ones are often overlooked and I think they're the most intimate kind of prayers to be honest with you. You see, to have a prayer of lament is when you're really honest with God about the chapter he's writing right now. It has nothing to do with your lack of faith in God. You know that he is sovereign. You know that he will provide, but this current chapter he is writing, you're not very happy about. I've lived in lament this past year. I didn't like that chapter at all. I felt the Lord could intervene. I really wished he would intervene, and he chose not to. And it's those kind of conversations where we're very honest about our frustration. And those conversations we only have with someone we really love and we really trust. It's not that I don't trust him. It's not that I don't believe he's in control. I just don't like this chapter. And so prayers of lament are important. And I think they're so important and so beautiful to the Lord because they're the most authentic, right? It's where we're being really honest about how we feel about something. And I love that God chose to keep this in his Bible, right? These are the prayers we find in, in Psalms when David is saying, Lord, where are you? What are you doing? Could you please fix this? Where I'm all by myself. And those very honest conversations, same in the book of Lamentations. They're just those very honest conversations. Sometimes we pray alone and sometimes we pray together in community. And prayer can look different depending on the season that we're going through. You see Mary, the mother of Jesus, her prayer was a song. King David in the Old Testament, his prayer was a dance. The hemorrhaging woman in the New Testament, her prayer was an outstretched hand as she grabbed hold of the hem of Jesus' garment in hopes that he would heal her. Mary's prayer was a generous anointing of the feet of Jesus, and I wonder if Zacchaeus' curiosity was his prayer as he climbed up that tree to catch a better glimpse of Jesus. And then there's times where we can't pray, where we're too heartbroken, too weary, too disillusioned, too distraught, where we don't have the words to pray and so we simply put ourselves before the Lord. And it's in those times when the Holy Spirit intercedes in our behalf because we can't find the words. I think it's during those seasons that the Lord also raises up intercessors for us and for our situation as he brings it to other people's minds. It's in those times that we rely on our community to intercede and pray on our behalf. So why do we pray? Well, it's about nurturing and growing a relationship. It's about speaking, it's about listening, it's about spending time with, it's about being honest and truthful. It's the way we process our life and our experience with Jesus. It's about comfort, it's about intimacy. It's about intentionally bringing 
Jesus into all the parts of our lives, the interesting parts, the remarkable parts, and the everyday mundane parts. So then why is it hard for some of us to to pray? Well, I wonder if it's hard for some of us to pray because we feel intimidated. You know, Matthew 6 says, don't pray on and on, or don't, sorry, when you pray, don't talk on and on as people who don't know God. They think God likes to hear long prayers. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. Really, it's an invitation for us just to be our authentic selves, right? I have a really good friend, and she is a gift of intercession, and what she chooses to pray about, the cadence of her voice, the words that she chooses are so beautiful. Um, It's like poetry, and I really wish that my prayers sound like that, but she is being authentically herself, and I need to be authentically myself when I pray because it's about the authenticity of it. I wonder if it's hard for some of us to pray because it's just not quite a habit yet. And this is actually something that's really easy to solve. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. For some of us, it's hard to pray because we are busy. We're overscheduled. We are a busy people with very, very full lives. We consume and weed through a ridiculous amount of information daily. And so this is just a kind and gentle reminder to us that if Jesus needed to carve out time to be with the Father, how much more do we need it? It was never meant to be a burden or something else to add onto our to-do list. It's kind of like Sabbath and rest. It was really meant to be a gift because in those times, he reminds us who we are and who he is. I wonder if it's hard for some of us to pray because we're not really sure if our prayers are effective. Does it really matter? I mean, if he is sovereign and he is all-knowing and he's all-powerful, does it really matter if I pray? Psalms 4 says, the Lord will hear when I call to him. In Luke, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he tells them the story of this widow who's bringing her case before this unjust and ungodly um, judge. And at first the judge just ignores her, but she's so persistent that he finally just gives in to what she's asking. And Jesus says to the disciples, like how much more would your father who loves you um, intercede and answer um, your questions and want to hear from you. If an ungodly and unjust judge will finally give in, how much more will a loving God? So our prayers matter. Scripture says they change things. In James, it tells us that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. So two thoughts about becoming more intentional about prayer, if that's of help to you. You know, if prayer is just not part of a habit right now, that's an easy one to fix. Because if you can tie it to an existing habit, you'll be good. So for instance, if you're having a hard time kind of finding a rhythm in this season of prayer, tie it to an existing habit, like brushing your teeth, or taking a shower, or when you drive into work, those are great reminders for us to pray and to spend some time with Jesus. You know, and then we have these spontaneous opportunities, and these are the ones that I always ask the Holy Spirit to help me to notice. Um, they're the ones that are not normally in our initial focus. They're usually over to the peripheral when things are going on. So like when you pass emergency vehicles, interceding for that situation. Or when you pass a school, it's a great opportunity to pray for schools and for education and all that's going on. When you pass a church, pray for that congregation, pray for their leadership, pray for your own church. Whatever those spontaneous opportunities are, the Holy Spirit will let you know. He'll bring them to mind. So let's transition into hearing God for a minute. I don't think any of us doubt that God speaks. 
I think we sometimes wonder if he'd actually speak to us. So let me start off by dispelling the myth that God only speaks to a select group of very holy, super spiritual people. In Acts 10, it could not be much clearer. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favorites. It doesn't matter where you're from. If you want God and you're ready to do as he says, the door is open. God has no favorites. As a matter of fact, he's ridiculously fond of each one of us. We're all his favorite. So then how come it seems like God's only speaking to a select few and not all of us? Well, he is and he isn't. So let's unpack that for a bit. You see, when Jesus walked the earth, did everyone within the sound of his voice hear him? No. Who were the people that heard him? The ones who were curious. The ones who sought him out. The ones who set aside what they were doing in their homes and their workplaces and looked for him. Though multitudes heard Christ, did they always understand what Jesus was saying? No. Why? Perhaps one reason might be that they didn't know him intimately. They didn't know the heart of God. They didn't know Jesus' heart. So out of all of those who came to hear Jesus, who really understood him the most? Well, his intimate circle of friends, his disciples. They had given their lives and their livelihoods to follow Jesus, and they spent as much time with him as they could. The same is true today. In John 10, Jesus says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know the shepherd's voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know a stranger's voice. So the sheep are the ones who have committed their lives to the shepherd, Jesus. Those who seek him and follow him and obey him. They are the ones that hear him best because they know him, they trust him, they have a relationship with him. So when it comes to hearing God, I think many of us already hear him, it's just that we haven't recognized his voice or distinguished it from all the other voices and noise that competes for our time and attention. You see, learning to discern God's voice takes practice. It's, it's a life skill. It's kind of like when we first learn how to drive. I don't know if anybody's teaching their kids how to drive right now. I hate it, but this is what it feels like because when you first learn how to drive, you're paying attention to everything. You sit down, you put your seatbelt on, you adjust the seat, you adjust all the mirrors, you put your foot on the brake, you gently put the key in the ignition, you put the car into gear, you gently release your foot off the brake but not before looking both ways and gently put your foot on the gas. You think through every step And then there's suddenly a day that you arrive at church and you have no idea how you got here. Because driving's become second nature. It's the same with hearing God. You know, as we look throughout scripture, God has spoken in many ways. He's spoken through a burning bush, through a cloud, through a friend, through an angelic messenger, through an audible voice, through creation, through a donkey, through prophets, through dreams, through writing on the wall. So then what's the key difference between then and now as it pertains to hearing God's voice? Well, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We have God within us. You see, in Bible times, um, the Holy Spirit would fall upon people for certain seasons and for certain moments and then would leave again. But we have the complete indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So though his voice may differ, the characteristics of his voice don't. So 
I'm going to touch on sacred pathways for about two seconds, um, just because I found it really helpful in my own walk. And you'll be able to unpack this in your small groups later. There'll be a whole survey that you can do, which will help you figure out a few things. But Sacred, um, Sacred Pathways is a book that was written by Gary Thomas, who's an author um, and a U.S. pastor. And it, this book really came from his um, own discontent in his quiet time. Um, for so long, his quiet time was so meaningful to him. And then he was walking through a season where he was left longing for more. And so he began to look throughout scripture to see how people throughout scripture connected with God. And then he began to look through church history to see how people connected with God. And what began to emerge were kind of these nine pathways of how people connected with God. And so we each have a personality and that'll tell you how we relate to each other. But the spiritual temp temperament tells us how we are wired to kind of connect with the heart of God. And so these nine pathways, I'll just give them to you because they might be familiar to you, um, is a naturalist, so loving God through nature. King David is an example of that. A sensate, loving God through your senses. Solomon would be an example. Traditionalist, loving God through rite and ritual and symbolism, and that's Abraham. Um, this is what I love about walking into an Anglican church is that you walk through the graveyard first before you enter into the church building. And it's a physical reminder that we worship with all those who have come before us and those who are living. Ascetics, loving God through silence and solitude and simplicity. John the Baptist. Activists, loving God through confrontation. Moses and James. Caregivers, loving God by loving others. Mordecai and Luke. Enthusiasts, loving God with mystery and celebration. Miriam is an example of that. Contemplatives, loving God through adoration. That's like Mary at the feet of Jesus. Intellectuals loving God with the mind, Solomon and John. You see, Jesus accepted the worship of Peter's mother-in-law as she served him, but he didn't force Mary, the sister of Martha, to worship him in the same way. She was allowed to sit at his feet in silence and in adoration. So hopefully that'll kind of help just kind of figure out a few things of why you have these longings within you. Um, I know for myself, we have a busy house with four kids and there was always this longing for silence and solitude. And after reading that, it kind of gave me language for that. It was my soul crying out to be with the Lord. So how do we create an atmosphere to hear God's voice? Well, your spiritual, your sacred pathway will play a key role in determining that. But think about what inspires you, what naturally draws you to God. For those who love nature, being outside. For those who are contemplative, a quiet and simple spot with little distractions will be great. Wherever you choose, just find a place where there's minimal distractions and when you're physically comfortable. Just like every relationship looks different, so will your own relationship with Jesus. Um, it's unique. You know, when we are discerning God's voice, especially when we're first practicing, it's really important to eliminate and quiet all the noise around us and the other voices that compete with the voice of God. So I think you know what I mean by environmental noises, right? Your phone, the TV, the radio, whatever is distracting. But what do I mean by other voices? Well, according to scripture, there are three other voices that compete with the voice of God. And in Ephesians 2, Paul refers to them as the world the flesh, and the devil. And we're still dealing with those voices today. I have my own voice, my own internal thinking and rationalization. Then there's the voice of others, of friends and family and media that kind of swirl around in our mind as well. And then there's the voice of the enemy, Satan and his demons. 
So how do we quiet and eliminate these voices? We pray and we ask the Lord to do that for us. We ask for his help. And after those voices have been quieted, it's much easier to discern the voice of God. It's like going down from a crowded room and trying to have a conversation to an intimate one-on-one conversation. So just a few more thoughts on creating an atmosphere to hear God's voice. If you're having trouble kind of getting um, rid of those internal distractions, just three tips. One that I use all the time is just having a piece of paper down. I do... I start my quiet time that way um, every morning. It's just the things that are swirling around, right? Don't forget to pick up milk. Call your mom. Send that email. It just needs a place to go out of my own mind so it can land somewhere. Sometimes closing your eyes and taking deep breaths is a really great way of centering yourself and slowing yourselves down. And we're going to do that this morning, okay? So if you want to inhale for four... And exhale. And inhale. And exhale. And as you continue to take those deep, life-giving breaths, I'm going to tell you what happens to your physical body when you do that. More oxygen fills our blood. Our heart rate slows down. Our blood pressure drops. Stress and anxiety are reduced. Our posture, our blood quality and lung function improves. These deep breaths strengthen our immune system and they soothe our nervous system where that fight, flight, and freeze response is. Spiritually, these deep breaths, they remind us that he is the breath of life and that he continues to breathe life into new places, into old places, into weary places. It reminds us that he's nearer than the air we breathe. These deep breaths help us to slow down so that our heart can connect with the heart of God. Sometimes just bringing our internal talk down to one sentence or a word or a phrase is another way of helping kind of calm our mind so that we can be fully present. Things like, you are holy, You are holy. It's like the decrescendo that brings it right down into silence. Once you feel quiet inside, just ask the Lord a question. Maybe something like, is there anything you want to tell me today? Is there anything I need to know about today? And then we listen for a response. And if you don't hear anything, it's okay. Try again. Wait until those thoughts surface to the forefront of your mind. Um, so often when we're listening or when we're hearing God, we're trying to censor and edit and test at the same time. Hearing God is an act of faith, actually. And so your best bet is to just listen, write down what you think you hear, and then test it once it's all out. It's impossible to listen and test at the same time. And we will talk about how to test what we hear. So what might prevent us from hearing God? Well, the truth is he's God. Nothing stands in his way. But there are some things that do make it easier for us to discern his voice. And so these are just things to be aware of. Be aware of your own sin, right? Keep those short accounts. We are prone to wander. We're prone to do things that are not always good for us. It's okay. Be quick to repent and uh, keep those short accounts.
Sometimes our attitude or preconceived ideas about how God speaks can make it hard for us to hear God. You know, a few years ago, um, I'd gotten up one morning and James was already up. He was down um, in the living room in front of the fireplace and I could tell by his body language that he was frustrated. And so he got up as I started to make my coffee and he's like, "Ah, I've been seeking God on this one thing and I've been here for half an hour. I hear nothing. And I just kind of, you know, agreed with him. That's got to be frustrating. And so he went downstairs. He worked from home at that time and turned on his computer. And when his computer comes on, so does his worship music. And he came up about five minutes later with tears streaming down his face because the Lord spoke. You see, James hears God through all of his senses. And so worship music is really powerful for him. He was trying to hear God how his wife hears God in silence and solitude. So do you see how it can be tricky sometimes? Yeah. Busyness can make it hard to hear God sometimes. It's really hard to multitask hearing God or to try hearing God on the fly. Um, It just does require a little bit of margin, a little bit of time. Unforgiveness can make it difficult sometimes. And I am by no mean advocating blanket forgiveness. I think it's a process. And sometimes it's just about me being willing to begin that process with the Lord. You know, our beliefs about ourselves and about God will also impact our ability to hear him. And this is where I kind of found myself. You see, I had a very warped view of myself and a very warped view of God. The problem is with the warped view is that you don't know it's warped because it's true for you. If you knew it was warped, you would have fixed it already. And so I knew that God loved me. That was never my question. But I always felt like he was slightly disappointed in me, that I just couldn't quite measure up, that he was just kind of looking down going, come on, Leanne. You can do better than this. And I remember one morning when my kids were little, and it's during those seasons when we have young kids where you kind of survive on snack food for quiet time where you have like five minutes and you're trying to get in what you can. And I swear my Bible message has fallen open to Isaiah 40. And uh, I was stuck on verse 11 where it says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those with young. And those words jumped right out to me. He's gently leading me. He's not mad that I can't keep up. And the image that came to mind is when our kids first learn how to walk, right? We're not mad because we have to slow down just to keep up with their pace. We're happy to slow our pace down. What do we do? We celebrate every step. We fully expect them to fall down. So we dust them off, help them back up again, and they go on their way. And I began to understand that that's exactly how God saw me. And he began to kind of unwind that warped view. And so I share this with you because... God meets us when we are looking for him. You know, there's a verse in Jeremiah, and I think we all know the one where it says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you to the end of future. But right after that, it says, and if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. And that was my experience. That was my experience. And he began to untangle those warped views. So how do we know it's God speaking? This really is the question, right? How do we test this? Well, it requires us to know him. We need to know the truth about God. What you believe about God and yourself clearly impacts your ability to hear him. And that's why reading the Bible and being in the word is so important, right? Because it shows us the character of God. So often God speaks very positively and affirms us, but we can't believe he would think that way about us because we don't think that way about ourselves. 
And so when words come to you, a friend of mine tells a story how she was sitting with a woman and she was listening and she could see the woman struggling and she's like, what do you hear? She's like, I keep hearing you are delightful. And she's like, why are you having such a hard time hearing that? And so she began to tell the story of an abusive father who never took delight in her. And so it was really hard for her to believe that God could take delight in her. And so do you see how what we believe about ourselves and about God can impact that? So... Yeah, let the Lord be the one who defines you. Let him redefine us. So, you know what's God speaking when it aligns with scripture, okay? You know what's God speaking when it aligns with his character. So think about the things that describe his character. And if you're having a hard time with that, just think of 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not easily angered. If God is love, that whole chapter describes him. If you're trying to hear God's voice and you hear words that come to you that sound like nagging and scolding and accusation, words that make you feel guilt-ridden, that's not God. You see, God's spirit will challenge us and will convict us, but it's in the distinct absence of shame and guilt. And actually, he's the only one that can do that. No matter how much I love James, if I say to him, hey, have you noticed? He's gonna feel badly about it and feel guilty but the Holy Spirit has a way of doing that with us where there is no shame, there's remorse. He's always kind, he's always courteous. As a matter of fact, scripture says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And so if you're feeling accused or condemned, well, that's what the Bible calls Satan, the accuser. You know what's God speaking when what you sense is accompanied by peace and rest and a settledness in your own spirit. You see, God is not the author of confusion and agitation. He's called the Prince of Peace. You know what's God speaking when what you sense might be a new truth or a deeper insight to a truth you already know. A friend of mine tells a story of how she was down by Lake Ontario and she was watching the waves come in on the beach and it just reminded her of God's love. Like you can go in and get your toes wet and experience that much of God's love. But if you wanna go in further and go right up into your waist, you can experience that much of God's love. But if you wanna go way out further and go right under that water, you too can be immersed in God's love. It's just up to you. Isn't that beautiful? You know it's God when what you sense might cause you to wrestle internally. And Moses is such a great example of this in Exodus 3 and 4. You know, when God spoke to Moses in the burning bush and called him to lead his people out of Egypt, Moses gave God every excuse why he should not be the person to do the job. How do they know you sent me? Will they believe me? Um, You know I stutter, right? I don't speak eloquently. And like Moses, when the right thing to do comes to mind and you find yourself arguing it in your head, that might be a good clue that the Holy Spirit is prompting you. A few years ago, I was walking down, we live close to the lake, so I was walking down by the water, and um, I passed a bench, and on this bench was a really big cup of Tim Hortons, like a Tim Hortons cup. And I, ha- I had the sense, like Leanne threw out the cup. So what did I do? I kept walking, because I live in Scarborough. Who knows what's in that cup? So I kept walking, and about half an hour later, I'm circling back around, and again, the cup's still there, and I hear the same thing, Leanne throughout the cup. So what do I do? I keep walking for the same reason. I don't know what's in there. And about five minutes later, again, Leanne, just throw out the cup. So I turned around, went back, threw out the cup. 
There was nothing in there. <laughs> you know what's God speaking? Um, when what you think God is saying to you is confirmed externally by others or by a situation. Now I say this with caution because always be discerning and test when people say, oh, I, I have a word of the Lord for, from the Lord for you. Make sure it always aligns with his character and with scripture. You know, sometimes we think God's gonna give us a grandiose word, but in reality, it may just be a simple instruction like rest. Or in my case, throw out the cup. God's voice and his words to us are often not what we expect. When the Lord passed by Elijah, who was standing on the mountain, Elijah was expecting God to be in the whirlwind, and he wasn't there. Then he thought for sure he was in the earthquake, and he wasn't there. Well, he must be in the fire, but instead, God was in the gentle whisper. So let's wrap this up. Prayer and connecting with God is about relationship. It's about intimacy. It's about wholeness. It has to feel gentle and kind and easy and light, even though prayer is a spiritual discipline which sometimes requires us to respond to the invitation to stretch and flex some muscles on purpose and more consistently. You see, it's not about progress or measurement or a checklist. It's about wholeness as God gently reminds us who we are and who he is. It's about intimacy as we cultivate this relationship, our relationship with God. Do you know what the most repeated phrase in scripture is? He who has ears, let him hear. You see, hearing God takes practice, and it's okay to practice, and it's okay to get it wrong. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a story about this prophet named Abacus. Um, Abacus got it wrong 40% of the time, and he's still called a prophet. And I think that's really encouraging. You see, hearing God takes time, it takes practice. So be gentle with yourself. You're allowed to be a beginner. You don't have to be proficient at this for it to count. Prayer and connecting with Jesus is about intimacy. It's about relationship. It's not what you can do for him and what you can build in his name. It has always been about you. He wants you. It's about that relationship with you. He will forever be more concerned about your roots and how deep and how wide they grow, how intertwined they are with him than the fruit you bear. You see, fruit is just a byproduct of healthy roots. It's about you and intimacy with Jesus. And so I'm gonna close today with a prayer written by Emily Freeman, who's a spiritual director and an author. And she says, whether you are walking forward or back, from here to there, in a circle or in a straight line, if you pray with your eyes closed or your hands raised, if your prayer is a song, a walk, a pot of soup, a hot shower, if your prayer is a please or a cry or a cup of sugar to your neighbor, if your prayer is a laugh, a request, a longing or a relief, you are here and God is here. Amen.